So how many of you would agree this morning, I'm going to throw a little finance at you, which I don't know really anything about finance, but I know if you spend more than you, if you have more going out than you have coming in, that's bad. I know that. Um, but let me just ask you this question. How many of you would agree that the value of a thing is based on how much someone is willing to pay for it? That the value of a thing is based on how much someone is willing to pay for it. For some folks, caffeinated beverages in green and white cups are worth more than caffeinated beverages in other cups. I don't get that, but, you know, God bless you. Some people, myself included, think a burrito that is made in one of those Chipotle stores is worth more than just about any other burrito made in any other of those burrito or taco stores. We all, amen, brother. We all have our own ideas about how much things are worth. But ultimately, in a free market system, a thing is worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. I want to talk to you this morning about the most valuable thing on the planet. The most valuable thing on the planet. It's not gold. It's not diamonds. It's not even super critical things like aluminum or boron or cobalt or palladium, or even plutonium. Look around the room this morning and see if you can guess what the most valuable thing on this planet is. If you know what it is, raise your hand. The most valuable thing on the planet is you and me. People. Because the price paid for us is higher than any amount of money higher than any amount of rare earth minerals or precious stones. The price paid for you and for me was the life of the Son of God. Let me read to you from Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He gave Himself for us to set us free from every kind of lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people who are truly His, who are eager to do good. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Romans 4.25 he, he was handed over to die because of our sins. And He was raised to life to make us right with God. Aren't you glad this morning? We can be right with God. In all the ways that all of us have lived at certain times of our life, isn't it nice right now to be able to sit here and be right with God? And that's not just the price that He paid for us. It's not just the price that He paid for um, people that are believers, people that are in church or following Him, but for everyone. Every person is worth that to God, the worth to God, the death of God's Son. Jesus would rather die than to let us go our own way. I want to talk to you today about the value value of a soul. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, Since He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all people. He values all people. He wants all people. Somebody say all. He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now we want to make sure that we value what God values. Um, you've probably heard the expression, we want to love what God loves, we want to hate what God hates. It's, it's not okay to hate anything that God doesn't hate. But God does hate a few things. 
We want to love what God loves. We want to value what God values. He values things like life and love and truth and power. He values people, all people. The people we like and even the people we might not. God loves them all. John 3.16, for this is the way God loved the world. Somebody say the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. So does that mean that He only loves those who believe? No, He loved the world so much that He gave His Son so that all would have an opportunity to believe and to receive the gift of eternal life. Now, our lives can show that we love God just being here this morning to come and worship. Some of you are lifting your hands as you're worshiping to the Lord this morning. It is such a beautiful sight, can I just tell you. It's a beautiful thing to stand before the church and not just lead you in worship, but to worship with you and to see you worship. I believe it's, um, it is that thing, that one of those things that just turns God's heart, um, that causes Him to... He's seated on His throne, but if there's a moment that would cause Him to stand it's um, and run towards us, those times that we run towards Him, time that we worship Him and love on Him. Our lives can show how we love God. We, we demonstrate it by coming to worship together, to worship Him. Let me ask you this morning, what do we do to show our love for the world? What do our schedules say about how much we value the souls of others? Does our bank account say about how much we value the souls of others? Are we willing to sacrifice to give to missions, to our partners, to the church, to do outreaches like Crave and Thanksgiving meals and Christmas events? Jesus tells a curious story about sheep. Most of you know it. He asks the crowd, and he says, if they had a hundred sheep but one gets away, would any of them not leave the 99 that are safe in the pasture together to go out and find the one lost sheep? And the answer, of course, is yes. He would expect all of them to say, yes, we would leave the 99 who are together in the pasture to go find the lost one. Sometimes we feel like we're the lost sheep. We're not the lost sheep anymore. We're the 99 safe in the pasture together. <laughs> And He wants us to be willing to go out and to find the lost ones, to recover them and to bring them back. This is God's heart for those who have wandered or who are wandering. Have any of you ever wandered? Yeah. There's, a, there's a, uh, an old hymn that talks about asking God to chain our wandering hearts so that they keep them from wandering. I can't think of the line right now. Let's just set that aside for a moment about God's heart for the wandering. We'll get back to that in a minute. I have, and I hope you have enjoyed so much this series in James. Um, I have learned a ton. I hope that my walk is more consistent. There's stuff that I've worked out in my faith and in my understanding of God and His Word as a result of working through this book together. Now, all of the messages are up on Facebook. If you've not been to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Journey Delaware. All the messages are up there. All the services are up there. And I would encourage you, if you uh, have missed some of those, it's a place where you can go to catch up. We are looking at this morning the last two verses of the book of James this morning. 
So we're in James chapter 5, last two verses, 19 and 20. I'm reading this out of the New English Translation, which I like a lot. I know translations are a discussion. Um, I usually use the um, CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, but I've really been liking this NET, the New English Translation as well. I'm reading from that this morning, verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, he should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If you're able to recover them, if you're able to bring back those that are wandering, then you're going to save them from death and help them to cover a multitude of their sins. Now, often when a writer has multiple points that he or she is making, the most important points are going to come at the beginning or they're going to come where? At the end. Not to say that all of what's in James is unimportant. But a lot of times you want to end. If you have, if you have three points, you have five points, you have six points, you're going to put your very strongest points in the beginning and your very strongest points at the end. And I believe that's what James does here. These last two verses, he gives us something he wants us to think about, that he wants us to put into action. Not that he doesn't want us to put all of it into action, but he wants us to think about these. He wants to leave us with this message about how to care for the wandering soul. I believe how seriously we take these verses will have a lot to do with how much we value, how much value we put on a soul. When we're trying to determine if we should get involved and we're not convinced that every soul matters to God, is precious to God, is precious in His sight, if we're not convinced of that and we're trying to figure out are we going to get involved, are we not going to get involved, are we going to say something, are we not going to say something, I'm going to tell you it's going to be a whole lot easier to not get involved. It's a whole lot easier to not say anything if we don't already have our mind made up about the preciousness, the value of a soul to God. A soul that may be on the edge, the verge of wandering. It's going to be a lot easier just to not get involved. But friend, we are the church. We are already involved. We are already committed to each other. And we are already commanded to compel those who are wandering and lost to come home. We're already involved. We're already connected. And we are already commanded. If we want to know how to care for the souls around us, and I hope you do, I hope I want to be able to care better for the souls. There's some things that I learned that really got hammered out in my own mind, in my own heart. Because as a pastor, oftentimes, I always uh, trying to discern, is this something I should speak into? Is this something I should stay out of? And often I don't say much. Well, I try not to say anything into places I'm not invited. My wife is always... Like, husband? But I'm not sure that completely squares with what James is telling us here. We're going to get into it this morning. If we want to know how to care for the souls around us, the way that Jesus commands us and the way that James teaches us, then these two verses are going to help us. In these verses, I see three principles that I want us to focus on this morning. So quickly, if we want to increase our care for the souls around us, then we will need, number one, knowledge of the truth. Number one, knowledge 
of the truth. Reading the verse again. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. Now, if we don't have a great awareness of what wandering from the truth looks like, we're not going to be able to know what that looks like unless we're really familiar with what living the truth looks like. James says, if you see anybody wandering from the truth, but if we're not in the truth, if we don't really aware of the truth, know the truth, our life's built around the truth, then we're not always going to see what it looks like when someone begins to wander. The kind of knowledge that I'm talking about does not just come from learning, but also from living. Right? There's, there's stuff that you can just learn. You can memorize. You can figure it out. But there's some stuff you learn, but you also have to live. You have to put it into practice. We need to know the truth about God. And you, those of you that have been here for a while, you know that I am a firm believer in having good, solid, biblical theology. Now, theology, anybody, that is not a word we should run from. It's not a word we should be concerned about. Um, does anybody know what theology means? It just means knowledge. It means knowledge of God. We want good and true biblical knowledge of God. Theology isn't a word we need to be scared of. Neither is it a word we can ignore or disregard. We need to know from the Bible why we believe what we believe. But we have to go past just believing the right doctrines. We need to have right actions and attitudes. We need to put the right doctrines, the truth that we know, into practice. Now, none of us does that perfectly. None of us does that completely consistently. But are we attempting to do that? Or are we just gaining more knowledge? Are we just learning more stuff? Learning more stuff won't do us really any good. It surely won't um, enable us, equip us to help others when they're wandering. Because our own hearts begin to wander if we just um, try to put facts and truth up here, but we don't try to work to put it into practice. The lessons learned trying to live that truth is a hard-won treasure. That stuff's invaluable. It's the stuff that keeps you going when life is hard. It's the stuff that directs you when you're heart is screaming when you just want to give up, when you don't want to do anything else, you just want to retreat into your own stuff, your own feelings, your own world, your own um, pain, your own memories, you just, just want to back up and forget about it. The lessons that we learned during those hard times, the next right step that we took, and then the next right step we took after that, and the next right step we took after that, the strength we found, the things we learned, those lessons will follow us and help us through the rest of our life. I have found, and maybe you have too, the lessons that cost us the most are the ones that stay with us the longest. Because we don't want to repeat that again. I stuck my finger in the light socket one time. I'm not going to do that again. At least I'm going to try not to. Through failure and successes, through pain and through joy, we grow in our understanding and ability to follow Jesus. To live for Jesus. Because Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. He doesn't say, just believe the right things about me. Don't just sing the words of the right songs about me. Don't just pray the prayers about me, but follow me. If we want God to use us in the lives of other people, to wave them off from dangerous paths, 
to warn them about destructive attitudes, to help them not to surrender hard-fought ground, then we'll have to be fighting our own battles and winning some. We'll have to be fighting our own battles and winning some. We don't have to win all of them. Nobody does. But we do need to win some of them to be able to help others to be able to win theirs. There's some things that you learn in defeat, and then there's some things that you learn in victory. There's some things you learn by getting across the finish line, by getting to the other side. There's some things you learn in the fight you can't learn anyplace else. But when you learn to get over, when you learn to get across, then you can help others to get across. Once you learn to swim, then you can help others learn to swim. They don't have to drown in the water. You can go down and save them, then you can teach them how to swim themselves. We can all teach others what we have learned. No matter how mature we may feel we are or how much maturity we may feel like we lack, all of us can teach and share what we know, what we've learned, what we've walked through, what we've been able to live through, the the rivers that we've been able to cross, the mountains that we've been able to climb, because all of us have, with our faith intact, with our souls intact. Maybe a little worse the wear, right? We got chips, we got scars, we got broken places, we got all that stuff, but we made it. We made it. And there's some things we're still making across, but there's some things that we've made, we've finished, we've got to the other side of, and we can help others to do the same. We can teach others what we've learned. We can bring them as far as we have come ourselves. This is what it means to be part of the church. It's what it means to care for the souls around us. When we see others with an attitude or actions or habits that cause us concern for their souls, we can tell them how we face similar obstacles and found our way through. We can't afford to give into the feelings that it's none of my business. That's just between them and God. Now, some stuff is, and how do you know which is and which isn't? I guess we just have to take that to the Lord, but we do not get a free pass. You just say, oh, that's just between them. That's just between them and God. I don't think James gives us that leeway. Because if we're willing to go chase them down, if we're willing to go reach out and touch them, to reach out and talk to them, to wave them off a disastrous uh, decision, then we are going to possibly save a soul from death and help them cover a multitude of sins. What if it was you that was wandering off? Wouldn't you want someone to come after you? What was you about to step over the cliff? Wouldn't you want someone to grab you by the nape of the neck and pull you back just in time? Because we're all in danger of this. Our hearts begin to wander. Our minds get distracted. This is what it means to be part of the church. It's what it means to care for the souls around us in this room, outside of it. When we see others, attitudes, actions, habits that cause us concern, we can tell them how we face similar obstacles and found our way through. If someone was driving down the road and it looks like their gas tank is leaking, you're just not going to forget it and hope it works out. Hope somebody else will help. You see a little kid um, walking down the middle of the road. You're just going to, oh, oh he's, he'll be okay. Uh, you're going to stop. And we need to do that for people that we love, people that we know. God wants us to stop and help, to reach out and to offer what we can to get them back traveling in the right direction. As far as we know it, as far as we know it, to accomplish this, 
to put our concern into practice for the soldiers around us, we need to, number one, have a knowledge of the truth. Number two, we also need closeness with one another. Closeness with one another. Some of you will recognize the name Kenneth Hagin. So my brother and I were living in Bakersfield, California. It's where we got saved. I moved there, I think, in 1987. Um, we both got saved in 1988. And we got dramatically saved and pulled into church ministry. He left Bakersfield and moved to Tulsa to go to Bible college. We had a friend of the family. Well, him and I had a friend. He was very involved with the Word of Faith movement. And Terry was going to go to Rama Bible College. Now, let me just say, I'm going to take a short bunny trail. Let me just say that I believe there are excesses in the Word of Faith movement that I disagree with strongly. But you cannot deny that most of those people have a strong and authentic faith. Now, I don't believe everything they believe, but I'll tell you, if you need someone to pray for you for healing, you need someone to pray for your stuff, man, some of those Word of Faith folks, man, they just pray, and they'll believe. Now, I believe some of that stuff borders on... Well, anyway, I, I think there are problems with the Word of Faith movement, so please, don't misunderstand me. But faith in God brings life and forgiveness. It brings power and wisdom. Faith is the currency of heaven. God responds when we believe. When we take him at his word. Okay, my bunny trail's over. But Kenneth Hagin, the president of Rama, he used to say something that I thought was really good. He said it over and over again to the students. There was some kind of student orientation. He probably said it four times. He asked them, he said, how do you spell ministry? It wasn't a spelling test. It was an attitude check. How do you spell ministry, he said? W-O-R-K. <laughs> and that is exactly right. W-O-R-K is how you spell ministry. Now, it's an oversimplification, but it's true. Here's another. How do you spell relationship? T-I-M. We can't have relationships with people until we know them. And we can't know them until we hang out with them long enough to get past conversations about the weather and work. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you had the same conversation with the same person 12 times? Never gone any further. Same conversation, same person. At some point, friends. It's one of the reasons I love a meal. One, I like to eat. Two, there's time where you have more time. You have to get past the weather and work at some point and talk about something that matters. Talk about something that's real right? About how we feel, about who we are, about what we want, what we're worried about, what we're excited about. Until we get to those points, we still don't know each other. And we still don't really have a relationship with one another. How do you spell relationship? T-I-M-E. We have to take the time to get involved with one another, to be willing to get close enough, vulnerable enough, to trust enough, to humble ourselves enough, to talk about struggles and needs, and to patiently listen to those of others. Other people have struggles too, and sometimes we just need to sit and let them talk about it. It can't always be about us sharing our struggles. Some of, for some of us, it's easy for us to share our struggles, but it's hard for us to listen to others. <laughs> for some of us, it's easy to listen to others. We don't want to share ours. I don't want to talk about stuff I'm, I'm fighting with. But we need both. We need both of those things. 
humble enough to get close enough, to trust enough, to humble ourselves, talk about struggle. This is how we practice being part of the church. Romans 12, 5. We who are many, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. We're not in this for ourselves. We're not in this just to because we like the songs and we like the prayers and we like the messages. We're not in this for all that stuff. We're in it for us together. We belong, the Bible says, to one another, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We belong to one another. But friends, do we do church like this? Do we do life like this? Do we make enough time for other believers in our lives to get close enough to know when one another's struggling? I don't. I don't make enough time for other people. I'm going to be very honest with you. Are we close enough that we can confide in one another, to reach out for help from one another, to get prayer from one another? If not, we're not doing it right. We're not being the church. We may be going to church, but we're not being the church. And I believe, like me, you're not interested in just going to church. You want to be the church. Hebrews 2.1, For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. There is a danger of drifting away. Drifting away from difficult obedience. Drifting away from a passion for God. Drifting away from real concern for others. Drifting away even from the life that God offers. James said if we don't pull back some of those ones that are drifting, that have wandered, that they will, that we, if we will pull them back, we can save them from what? Death. Not um, a lack of closeness. Not just a lack of joy. But death, we can wander to the point that we extinguish, we separate ourselves from God. James says that we can save each other from death and cover a multitude of sins. When we're concerned that a brother or sister, a mother or father, a son or daughter in the faith are losing their way, we must choose to make time to get involved. We must choose to make time to warn them, to help them, and to be willing to listen when someone comes to us with the same concerns about our own lives. I'm worried about you. Right? Now, how many of you, how many of you like me? Let's just be honest. I am, I'm really good at giving advice. <laughs> My wife is back there trying to hold back an amen. She wants to shout right now. I am super good at giving advice. I'm not as good taking it. Anybody else with me? Yeah. Because when you have all, well, not all the answers, but when you have most of the answers, what you just need to listen to mine. Anybody else with me? I know you're out there. Come on, somebody. We have to be willing to listen, but also willing to offer. Do we care about the condition of the souls around us? Do we care enough to get involved, to take a chance even at offending one another in order to keep them from walking a path that could lead them away from God and into destruction? If we want to care for each other's souls, 
if we want to help those who are far from God to come closer, then we need to grow, number one, in our knowledge of the truth. So we know what it looks like when we or somebody else wanders from it. Number two, we need to grow in our closeness, make time for closeness with one another. And the last thing we need, we need hearts, number three, we need hearts filled with grace. We need hearts filled with grace. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If we care enough to try to point a wandering soul back to the right path, then we need to not just have a knowledge of the truth to know where to bring them back to, we, not just, we need to do more than just be willing to get involved. We need to involve ourselves with a right heart. Somebody say right heart. Concern and even discernment are very different than suspicion, pride, and a critical heart. How many of you have gotten, how many of you have gotten advice or concern from someone, and you know they loved you. And you, you were able to take it that way. But there's other people, when they say that stuff, you're not so sure they love you. <laughs> you're not so sure they're just getting it because they want to get you. And I, I mean, know what I'm talking about. Concern and even discernment, which is a spiritual gift that helps us to discern right from wrong, truth from error are very different than suspicion, pride, and a critical heart. And if we don't approach others with grace, it can come off like we just want to tell everybody else what they're doing wrong and how they just need to stop it. How of you want to just look at your neighbor one day and say, stop it? Maybe you want to look at your spouse and say, stop it. Some of your family members, some of your friends, you just want to look at them and say, stop it. Because you're tired of putting up with all their stuff. But that's not the heart that we need if we want to care for each other's souls. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In once you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Look at somebody and say, you were dead. You got a point at them or else they're not going to know who you're talking about. Look at them and say, you were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the, the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all, somebody say all, previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Golly, that's just downright depressing. Then we need to get to verse 4. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ. We can only do this, go to each other, with concern in our heart effectively when we do it with humility, recognizing that we are all in this together. Somebody say all. We were all by nature children of wrath. We were all carrying out the wants and desires of our flesh, but God... But God enabled us to say, man, I, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Jesus, I want to follow you. No man comes to the Father except God, no one comes to God except the Father draws him. 
but God. Jesus knocking on the door of our heart, Revelation 3. But God, we are all in this together. Do we have a heart to warn others or to criticize them because we don't like their behavior? We don't like their attitude, so we want to get them. How many of you get that customer service person on the phone and they're just rude and they're acting like they don't even want to help you a bit and you just want to give them a piece of your mind just a little bit? Do we have the heart to warn others to help them or to criticize them? Are we mad at them because of the way they're living? Because it feels like they're not even trying to do the right things. Friends, until we get closer, we don't really know why they're doing what they're doing, living the way they're living. This needs to be an arm around the shoulder, not a finger in the face. How many of you have ever had trouble putting God's Word into practice in your life? And the first time you read it, you went, oh man. And if you have somebody with an arm around, man, I know that's rough, but you can do it. Right? I know that's difficult, but you can, you can make it. Or is it, man, you need to get your act together. What's the matter with you? How many times do I have to tell you? Does any of this sound familiar? We need an arm around the shoulder, not a finger in the face. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 through 26. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone. Somebody say, gentle to everyone. Well, what about the people I don't disagree, people I disagree with? What about those folks? Gentle to everyone. What about the people that are mean to me? What about the guy that parks in front of my mailbox every day? Gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but be gentle to everyone, patiently instructing his opponents with gentleness. It's been my experience that most of the time, a critical heart is born out of pain that has not been healed. Offense that has not been forgiven or pride that has not been confronted. You know any people like this? They're always critical. They're always wrong. It's either because it's pain that's not been healed, and I'm sure there's other reasons, but this is the offense that has not been forgiven, pride that's not been confronted. Now, can I just offer you a piece of advice? That if you have people in your family, if you have people in your church, people in your community, that just about every time they talk, it's negative about somebody or something. This is a great opportunity for you to reach out to them and point it out to them. and Say, do you know that most of the time when you talk about people, it's almost always negative. It's almost always critical. Have you ever, have you ever realized that? Why do you think that is? Usually because there's pain that hasn't been healed. There's offense that hasn't been forgiven. There's pride that hasn't been confronted. We all need to know that we are no better than anybody else. 
We need to allow that knowledge to guide our words, our actions, and our attitudes when we're reaching out for those that are wandering. The grace that forgave us needs to be extended to those around us. The grace that forgave us needs to be extended to those around us. We need, friends, hearts full of grace. Freely giving away what we have so freely received. How many of you have received more grace than you deserve? I've received more grace than I deserve. Anybody else with me? Yeah. We need to recognize, friends, we, we have received more grace than we deserve. And that means, guess what? We have some left over to give away. Hey, somebody. Freely giving what we have so freely received. We need to look out for one another. We need a concern for one another born out of love and closeness, not frustration, pain, impatience, or judgment. If we believe our friends, neighbors, family, or church members are moving in a destructive or dangerous direction, we need to do what we can to get their attention, to encourage them to turn around and head home. Lacey, if you're able to come and help me, I just want to encourage us for a moment just to think, just to allow, give the room some, give the Lord some room in your heart, in your mind. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us this morning. God, how, how would you want us to respond to what we heard today? Not what we think. We think, well, I got that covered. And then all of a sudden, God starts knocking on something. You go, well, maybe, maybe you, you don't have that covered the way you think. Yeah, but this is, I'm really good at this. Maybe, maybe we're not as good as that as we think we are. Friend, just let your guard down this morning. Make room for God to knock on the door of your heart. We've been studying, as you know, in the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and 3, the seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And Jesus sends a little individual letter to each church, seven churches. And at the end of each of those, there's one phrase he says to each one. Let the church, let those who hear, those who have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the church. Those who have an ear to hear. I'm praying this morning that we would all have an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Church's people, you and me. What does God want to say to you this morning? What does God want to say to me this morning about how we value the souls around us? The most valuable thing on the planet are people. People. It's not getting one more task done. not one more um, hour at work to try to get those things done to try to get your hours in at the end of our lives the thing that's going to matter most is the people they are the most valuable thing on the planet because of what was spent on them God says people are worth the death of his son and we need to value what God values souls around us. How are we going to care for them? Like never before, friends, I believe the world needs to see the church faithfully living out its faith. 
This is not time to shrink back. This is not time to say, well, if we let this go, they'll leave us alone. If we let this go, we need to be. Jesus was not above controversy. He did not shy away from controversy, but neither was he controversial just to show off or to get attention. He stood for truth and he spoke with love and we need to do the same. We need to do the same in our homes. We need to do the same in our workplace. We need to do the same in our church and in our city. We need to stand for truth and we need to speak with love. The world needs to see the church faithfully living out what it says it believes. Jesus is waiting, I believe, for us to do so. Hurting people are looking for answers. Souls heavily burdened, wounded and deceived. There are people in the church and outside it that need hope and help, love, life, truth and power. We can be conduits of those things, friends. Or we can think, what a shame it is that they've walked away. What a shame it is that their life is going in that direction. Or we can be conduits used by God to bring His life, His love, His truth and His power to them. Stand with me this morning if you can. Now we need to know that some folks that we reach out to, some folks that we try to warn, they're going to completely ignore us. Some are even going to get offended. They may get mad at us. It's not our job to convince them, but it is our job to have the conversations. That's our job. God changes hearts. We present information to change minds, but God changes hearts. Convincing them and converting them is not in our wheelhouse, but having the conversation is our responsibility. It's our responsibility. People matter to God and they need to matter to us. We can care for their souls in better and greater ways and help them get on track and stay on track. But to do it, we need a better, greater knowledge of the truth. We need to make time for closeness with one another and we need hearts filled with grace. Now, I don't know where you are in those three points this morning. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm, I'm not really sure I'm aware of the truth in ways that I need to. So God, I just want to open up my heart to truth this morning and I, I commit to you today that I'm going to spend more time learning what truth is and not just learning it in my mind, but putting it into practice and living it day to day. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I have not made enough time to be close with one another. I have the same conversation with the same people every week, but I never really let anybody in. I never really tell them what's going on in my life or in my heart. Or maybe you, you're quick to tell, but you're slow to listen. We need both. Take some time. Make yourself vulnerable. See who I am. This is what I like. This is what I'm excited about. This is what I'm worried about. This is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm strong. Take time to know one another. You don't know them. You don't know when they're struggling. You don't know when they're wandering. And lastly, we need hearts filled with grace. So that when we come at somebody to help them, it feels like we're helping them. Not that we're just trying to get them. When people come into this building and they don't live like you do, they don't vote like you do, they don't look like you do. 
And it can be easy as people who have been walking with Jesus for a while to feel like we have all the answers to somebody who has not. And we do have some answers. It's absolutely true. But how we offer those answers will make all the difference on how welcomed they are. How we offer them, a finger in the face or an arm around the shoulder. I understand this is hard, but it's true and it's worth the fight. Or you just need to stop it. We need a gospel heart filled with grace. Maybe you're here today and say, you know, Tim, I've, I've probably been too critical. Maybe I have pride or maybe I have offense that I haven't forgiven. I have wounds that haven't been healed. God, I'm just going to ask you this morning to fill my heart with grace. Fill my heart with grace. Not only do I need to know your love, your acceptance, but I also need to have something to give away. Maybe you're listening to me today and you've never really given your heart to Jesus. You've never really experienced that grace. Friends, a a relationship with Jesus is is a lifelong um, journey, but it begins very simply with just a prayer that says, Jesus, you are welcome to come into my life. You are welcome to come into my heart. Live in and through me and help me to become who it is that you want me to be. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive my sins. It's what you died on the cross for. I believe it. That you died on the cross to save me from my sins, to take them away and to give raised from the dead to bring me new life. God, I want all that. Forgive my sins. Put your life in me and make me brand new from the inside out. God, that's what I want and that's what I need. Maybe you're here this morning, you're praying that for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. You've wandered. You've gotten far from God in your heart and your attitude and your mind. You say, you know what? I'm coming back today. I'm coming back today. I want Jesus to be first. I want Jesus to be in the front. I want Jesus to be at the top of the ladder. That's you this morning. I'm just going to ask you, lift your hand towards heaven right now. I want Jesus to be first. I want Jesus to be on the top. I want Jesus to be number one in my life. Jesus, I've slipped and you know, but God, I want you to be on the very top. I want you to be at the very center. God, I give it to you today. I surrender myself to you. Maybe you're here today and there's bitterness in your heart. You're angry. You're angry at someone, that something they did, something they said, something that's been done. Say, you know what, I don't want to be held captive by this anymore. I want to forgive. I want to extend the same grace that I've been given. Are you here this morning? You need to forgive something. Just lift your hand towards heaven. I need to forgive. I need to forgive. I need to forgive. I need to forgive. God, I forgive today. I choose to do it. I'm not going to hold this in my heart any longer. I rip up bitterness. I rip up that, uh, that record of wrongs that were against me. I rip them up today. Setting myself free. Father, I thank you for each one in the room this morning. Those listening online. God, bless each one and help us, I pray, to understand the value that you place on a soul. Not just ours, but those around us. And help us to reach out to them, not with criticism, not with frustration, not with impatience, but with compassion, with grace. Helping them to come back, to avoid the desperate and destructiveness of sin and wandering. God, we thank you for it today. Touch journey this morning. Touch each one. Father, we thank you for it. We ask these things in your name and for your glory and by your power. If that's your prayer this morning, somebody shouted.